Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today's no exception. We've got a great guest, but first, goal setting is one of the most important aspects to achieving anything in life. If you don't know where you're going, you might end up someplace else. I'd like to invite you to join me for three days on the Mexican Riviera for an intensive goal setting retreat so that you start your 2020 with energy, purpose, focus, and momentum. The annual goal-setting retreat will take place over the first weekend in December on the beautiful Mexican Riviera. Registration will open up on July 31st. If you're interested in learning more, send an email to goals at victorjm.com, and you'll be among the first to have the opportunity to join me in Mexico. We keep these retreats small and intimate. This event will sell out. Send an email to goals at victorjm.com. That's goals at victorjm.com. We are back here on the Weekend Edition. We interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today's no exception. We have an awesome guest all the way from Denver, Colorado. Welcome to the show, DJ Scruggs. Hey, Victor. I'm glad to join you. DJ, you and I share something that's unique in many ways, especially in the world of real estate, and that is that we both have a tech background. We both transitioned from the world of high tech into the world of real estate investing and thought we'd make that the focus for today's segment. So why don't you start, maybe give us a little bit of your backstory and how you got into this crazy world of real estate. My background is um, I did tech startups for about 20 years, starting in my mid-20s. I lived in Chicago. And this is in in the early to mid-90s I was there. And it was one of those moments where I I spent basically an entire weekend just surfing the web back in – I guess 1995. And I thought, Oh my God, this is enormous. I've got to start a business. And I had no idea what it was going to be. It was just the internet's going to be big, find a way to start a business with it. And I did start a software company and I ended up a few years later selling it to a company in Boulder, Colorado. And that's what brought me out to this area. And I kept doing tech startups for another 15 years or so. After a while, though, I just I got kind of burned out on it. it. It's really fun. It's really exciting. But it's also very much kind of a casino game, especially for pure startups. I mean, I know you've done, you've done businesses that are a little further along in the cycle. But you really are uh, making a leap of faith. And there's so many things that are outside of your control. It can range from what if Google or Facebook decides to do what you're doing Back then, it was Microsoft. Everyone would, that's what all the venture capitalists would ask you. What if Microsoft does this? But, but beyond that, even if you, if you figure it out and you get the, the flywheel spinning, you, there's still challenges that are, can be enormous. You know, like what if Facebook decides to steal your best developer or some new technology comes along that makes this thing you spent the last five years building um, easy to build in a weekend by some hacker? And in fact, I've seen that happen. One of the companies I was with was a company called Survey Gizmo. Even today, you know, that company's been around since 2005, I think. And even today, there's still new survey startups coming online. You can guess Survey Gizmo, it's a survey company. So it, it just, you know, even when you're at the very top, like I would not want to have to deal with the problems that Sergey Brin and, and uh, Larry Page deal with at Google. You know, <laughs> you just have bigger problems. So I, I was sort of burned out on that and started looking around for something different. And I stumbled onto Bigger Pockets because my neighbor, who was a real estate agent, I actually applied for a job at Bigger Pockets. 
and I didn't get it, but now I'm actually blogging for Bigger Pockets. So <laughs> it's kind of the circle of life there. And I just, I really fell in love with the relative stability of it compared to tech. I love that you can collaborate just like with tech. Tech's a very collaborative business or it can be. And so just the more I got into it, the more I liked it. And it has its challenges. No business is, is easy. All businesses have their challenges, but it's been very rewarding to me, both financially and, and just personally. I love that. One of the things, one of the questions I often get from folks uh, who ask me about the transition is they say, wow, that's a big transition. Uh, you knew nothing about real estate and you just sort of jumped right in into developing and how did you learn? How did you develop the skills? And what I discovered is that there were an awful lot of highly transferable skills. I mean, you talked about being in startups where I have no doubt you were raising capital. And guess what? In real estate, that's something that you absolutely need. What were what were some of the other transferable skills that you felt that you didn't anticipate would be serving you well, but turns out they are? Well, I would say so... It feels like when I first came into to real estate, it felt like it was about 10 years behind in some respects with tech. And I think that's most apparent when you're dealing with a lot of the sort of legacy service providers. So lenders, insurance companies, inspectors, you know, they still do everything by email. They have websites that, are, that were built in, seems like 1997. And so the skills are basically just taking what I already know and applying them within the business. So the, the tech world, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on things like search engine optimization, you know, having good user experiences for inter- interfacing with you through the internet, things like email marketing, content marketing, podcasting, you know, that's not necessarily a tech skill, but it, but it came out of the tech world. And it's been fascinating to see, I'm applying techniques that to me are kind of old hat. I mean, I've been doing email marketing since 1998, but are still relatively new in this world. Uh, or, if, or if people have been doing them, they're doing them kind of in the way we did them in 1998. <laughs> you know, there's just not a lot of sophistication there. So those kinds of sort of pure tech skills have been useful. And then, um, and, and I would add, by the way, uh, CRM systems, customer relationship management you can get a lot of bang for your buck with some of the tools out there to facilitate more efficient conversations with your customers. But then you mentioned raising money as a, as a great example. The, the big mindset shift for me was with tech, as uh, I'm sure you're aware, it tends to be done. It's, it's kind of punctuated by the life cycle of the business, right? So you need seed capital and then you need your series A and then you need, your growth capital, and then you might do mezzanine all the way up to going public, right? The capital is, is kind of, you focus on your business and then you take three months and go raise money. And then you go back to focusing on your business and then you take three months and go raise money. But with real estate, it's more of an ongoing process because it's, it's driven by a deal, right? So you have to have a property or in your case, you know, a project you're going to develop. You don't start out raising money just before you need the money, right? You're always raising money in real estate. And so that was a big mindset shift for me. And, and that's where technology is great because we've basically trained our investors that we don't know when we're going to have a deal. You know, we make a lot of offers. Most of them don't go anywhere. And, uh, and then even if we get a, an LOI signed, you have to get through due diligence. So we've trained them 
to be ready to pounce when we do have a deal. And we keep them, we stay top of mind just by sending them regular emails over, most of them are automated. When someone joins our list, they get automated emails. And, and I should say with those emails, uh, what we don't do is just the June newsletter from Blue Spruce Holding because no one cares about newsletters. We try to write content that, that speaks emotionally to the investor, uh, what kind of questions they might have a real estate or you know, what kind of challenges they faced in their own careers and how that might carry over to real estate, you know, how, how we think about investing. And, and that's been really terrific for us. That, that has made a big difference. And I've seen a few real estate syndicators out there who do that, but not many. Certainly not enough for all the capacity of um, all, all the investment capacities out there. So there's a great opportunity for someone who's good at content marketing to uh, build uh, an enormous list for, for, doing, for raising money for their deals. One of the biggest differences I noticed between the tech world and real estate is that often, in particular in the world of startups, when you are coming out with some new idea, you're not only looking to develop a business, develop a company, you're also in many ways looking to develop the market. And so in that respect, you've got business risk compounded on top of market risk because the market isn't fully developed for that particular technology. Whereas with real estate, what I find is you actually just have the business risk. You're not necessarily, unless you're really trying to blaze a trail uh, and you don't have to, uh, you can just be a, a fast follower, copy an already proven strategy and uh, and simply replicate that without the threat of a, of a behemoth, of a monopoly type player like an Intel or a Samsung or a Microsoft coming in and, and taking your lunch. Yes, yes. With tech also, you're, you tend to be pitching a very, in terms of raising money, you're pitching a certain type of person, right? So the person who's looking for 8% cash flow, 15% IRR is not going to invest in tech companies, or at least they should be. They shouldn't be investing in tech companies. And so you're investing, the people you're pitching are typically either what they call angel investors, people who've had some successful exits and now are looking to, to you know, find the next version of Facebook or what, whatever it was that, that made them successful and, um, or, or it's professional venture capitalists. And that's, they spend a lot of time focused on two things, the team. So who are you? Are you smart enough? Do you have the grit? All those things it takes. And then the market is, is uh, this going to be a viable market? You know, the most successful ones are the ones you don't even know are there. You know, I mean, who knew that um, social networking will become, uh, I mean, I remember when Twitter, I mean, I was there when literally when Twitter launched at South by Southwest in I think 2006 and everyone was like, this is the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> right. You know, so a lot of times you have to kind of stumble on an idea and, and oftentimes it looks like something that, everyone else thinks is idiotic. Uh, whereas with real estate, you, you can quibble about the returns. You can quibble about, well, is this market really going to grow the way you say it is? Um, is the job growth there? All the things we look at when we're looking at, at, at buying an asset. But no one doubts that if there's a building that has tenants there and you maintain it, they're going to stay there. And uh, so it's just, there's so much more that's in your control and your downside risk is so much lower. I mean, I point to people, we actually have a blog post about this, you know, during the financial crisis here in the U.S., which uh, I guess uh, Canada sidestepped that, you lucky guys, um, the, the foreclosure rate in single-family homes was about 2.9%, I believe, 2.8%, something like that. 
And the, the foreclosure rate in multifamily was about 0.8%. And um, right now, the foreclosure rate in a booming economy is around uh, 0.6, I think, for single family homes. So, you know, this is kind of the high water mark for single family. And it's not really that far off from the low water mark for multifamily. That's why I like multifamily so much. So I love that. I love that insight. And just uh, as a, as a point of contrast in Canada, our 90 day late rate, not even talking the default rate or the foreclosure rate, our 90 day late rate is 0.42% nationwide across Canada. So even lower. Yeah, that's for single family. Yes, that is yes. for single family. I mean, Canada, I, yeah. I can't speak to the, I don't know in detail how Canada works, but I, I do know just that <laughs> you guys were a lot more prudent um, about how you managed, uh, you know, the incentives around uh, buying and selling real estate are just not quite as, as whack as they are here in the U.S. And, you know, honestly, they're still pretty whack here. Um, not as bad as they were in the early 2000s, but uh, we, we still have, I think, I mean, pers- it's great for me personally. I mean, I make money because it's a little bit whack. There's aspects of it that I, I don't think are very good policy from a government perspective. Yeah, I agree with that. What were some of the other transferable skills? I'm thinking maybe things like project management, things like that, that are just a natural one-for-one carryover. How was that transition? Yeah, I mean, that's been great. I think leadership skills, um, using using all the tools that are available. So, you know, we use a product that some people may know called Trello. It's a, it's a very simple workflow tool that comes out of the agile software world. Um, they sometimes call it agile development. Yeah, love Trello. I use it every day. Yes. And so that's the kind of thing that is really useful, especially because a lot of people in this business, we actually have an office, but a lot of people work remote. So it, it's really good for that. And, and just knowing those tools are available. Another agile practice we do is the daily stand-up. It's a 15-minute meeting every morning. Everyone has to stand up, and and we just go around and say, "What are you working on, and what are your obstacles?" So I, I would say those are the the biggest kind of direct things that have come from tech. But just more entrepreneurship in general. You know, tech is all about speed, um, or it should be. <laughs> if you're not moving fast uh, as a startup, you're probably going to die. So there's a lot of um, just emphasis on moving quickly, implementing quickly, trying things out. If they work, great. If they don't, discard them and try something else. And then I guess another thing that applies from startup, and this, this is a term that um, I've noticed from doing it, is to, to do a startup, you have to have what I call a high tolerance for ambiguity. You know, you have to, you, you may have a vision of where things are going, but it's almost certainly wrong. <laughs> right. I mean, you may be directionally correct, but the steps you take or could, could change radically based on a new technology becoming available or a new competitor. So, you know, that willingness to engage with something, even though you're not sure how it's going to pay off or even if it's going to pay off, I think is, is in a sense, a kind of skill. It's interesting you mentioned that because that's that's a phrase that I probably haven't heard in 10 years. And yet it was something that was regularly talked about in the tech world. It was exactly that. That was exactly the term we used. We said, you got to have a high tolerance for ambiguity. I haven't heard that in a long time. Yeah. And I mean, I will say the, the flip side of that, that, that is just awesome with real estate compared to tech. You know, with tech, 
you're always selling something, whether it's the product or the company to investors or the company to employees, right? And oftentimes you're, you're trying to convince people to come work for free or, or, you know, at a much lower rate than they can earn in the market. And the way you sell them on that is you sell them on the vision of the company and then also the stock options, which, you know, knock on wood, if things go, go right, you'll be able to cash in these stock options and make a lot of money. Um, I've come to see that as mostly a scam. <laughs> you know, I feel like, and I noticed this myself when I was first out in Silicon Valley back in the 90s raising money, there was sort of two classes of employees. There was the fresh-faced kid out of MIT or Stanford who, you know, wanted to get in on this internet action. And then there was the 20-year grizzled veteran who had a, a drawer full of worthless stock certificates, right? <laughs> um, but, but with real estate, there's no waiting five or 10 years to it. You know, if you find an asset and I can get someone to work for me to help take down that asset, I can put their name directly on that asset and they're going to start getting cash flow immediately. You know, not a ton of money. It takes a while to build wealth in real estate, but it's very tangible and it's, it's somewhat predictable. You know, that's the part that's not so ambiguous. You know that if we, if we buy a $10 million property and we have to raise $3 million for it and we own 30% of it and, you know, what the cap rate's going to be, we can make a pretty accurate prediction of how much money you as an employee working on this are going to make. And so that, that part, I think, is just outstanding compared to tech. It's just hands down way better than tech. Yeah, I love that. And and that's absolutely true. We've certainly seen that as well. I mean, the poster child for me, you know, there's companies out there that some of them even went public and, you know, they literally swung for the fences. They they got the winning lottery ticket, all of that. And even then couldn't survive a couple of generations without being either swallowed up by one of the one of the monopoly or duopoly type players or um, or getting taken private or something happened where they got crushed maybe in a patent lawsuit or what have you. And it's really like saying, I want to win the lottery when I grow up. Whereas in the world of real estate investing, it's so much more predictable. It's really, it's a numbers game. It, there's a bit of a science to it. Uh, it's really take a system and multiply it and repeat it. Yes. And, you know, just, I mean, to give some Canadian examples, think of, uh, you know, BlackBerry. Is it RIM? Is that the name of the company? I mean, that was, I mean, that was a huge breakout success. That was arguably the first, you know, mobile platform. And they had a great run for a few years, but then the iPhone came out and everything started going sideways for them. Not to mention, you know, that, that's just one example. Nokia had yeah. the same problem. I mean, I remember the Palm Pilot. That was really cool for a while. Uh, there's this these waves and cycles, and you know, it's it's like uh, Andy Grove from Intel talks about. You know, only only the paranoid survive. I don't like being paranoid. <laughs> you know, I like just kind of going to work every day and enjoying my work and not worrying about you know whether Google's going to come after me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I know there's a lot of listeners out there, whether they're in corporate America, whether they're in the tech industry looking to make the transition and from two seasoned veterans both of us here on the line who have made the transition made it successfully i uh, can tell you that it is definitely a transition that is worth making and there's certainly things i miss about the tech industry you know i was working with some of the smartest people on the planet working on some things that are literally just too cool for words and 
I still made the transition. I have no regrets. So you might be considering making that transition. And if uh, if they want to learn a little bit more, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Well, go to our website, realbluesbruce.com. Um, you can also find me on Facebook, although I don't <clears throat> I'll be I'll be honest, I've been sharply cutting back my social media exposure <laughs> recently. I, I recently deleted my Twitter account, I deleted my Reddit account. Just because, uh, you know, tech is great, but it also, I mean, there's engineers in Silicon Valley who spend all day trying to figure out how to get you addicted to technology. You know, if they, if they were cigarette companies, they'd be sued out of existence. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But you can definitely find us. You can also email me, dj at realbluesbruce.com. And uh, I, love, I love talking with people. Um, if you go to our website, you can get on our email list. And those emails all come from me, quote unquote. But I, if you reply to those emails, I, I almost always respond. So feel free to reach out to me. I, I love talking with people about this stuff. Well, that's awesome. So for the listeners at home, definitely reach out to DJ at realbluespruce.com. That's R-E-A-L, blue, B-L-U-E, spruce, as in the tree, dot com. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. I'll talk to you again tomorrow. <laughs>